um, if you'd join me. Lord God, you have promised our nation to be a blessing if we would just turn to you, that we'd humble our hearts. Lord, lead us to repentance. Forgive us the sin of seeing each other not as brothers and sisters, God, but as enemies even. We've been quick to to fall into anger and pointing out the fault of others. Forgive us the political turmoil that, that we have fomented. God, even among our families and our friends, forgive us our need to be right, no matter the cost. Forgive us for for drifting from the ideals that you and and God, I, I believe that the, the founders of our nation established. Forgive us for deserting the words united and in God we trust and liberty and justice for all. Help us, God, to turn not to other humans, but to you for guidance and strength, Lord. Remind us always that, that we are part of an unshakable, unbreakable kingdom with a faithful king. And that the government is upon his shoulders, your shoulders. We pray that we might not give in to our own insecurities. That we might begin once again to cherish the the blessings of diversity in our world. That we may honor the differences of opinion instead of shouting over each other and and trying to, to drown each other out in noise. Fill us with a desire to listen not only to each other, but mostly to you. Remind us of the strengths of this nation. Help us to believe in each other again. Help us to see you in the eyes of every person, even those with whom we disagree. Teach us that our nation's foundation, our democracy, as strong as it may be, is fragile, and that we are the only keepers of our own ideals. When, when we're not sure of the way forward, God, I ask that you would darken the paths that don't lead us to you. Shine your light on everyone that seeks you. Protect us, God, from danger, from anger, from despair. Change our hearts, Father, that we may be like you. Fill our hearts with, with hope, and determination that we may not give up, but press on. Press on to a glory that is all the more. God, be with every one of our nation's leaders. Fill them with a desire to serve you. Be with our president and others. At this time of high stress and anxiety, God, may this be a time when they seek your face. When he and others turn to you as their chief counselor and guide. May your wisdom be their wisdom. May your love be their love, God. Help them to see how close we are, your church. Not to falling apart, but to making a mighty witness for you. May we be your servants. And may our nation become a nation of servants. That in serving others, we would honor you. Remind us that you became a servant in order to save us from our sins. Fill our hearts with empathy for one another. Lead us to be healers 
helpers and peacemakers. Help us once again, God, to be indivisible, one nation under you. And then when sacrifices must be made, God, remind us that you made the greatest sacrifice of all. Bless us in the future as you have in the past. As we continue to strive for your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Amen. 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 No, no, no. There's a uh, cultural phenomenon going on in our world today. It's referred to as a, a cancel culture. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, you, if you're not, what, what it really means is that if you express ideas that are outside of the acceptable ideas, whatever those acceptable ones are, that, that you'll be removed from a position of influence. Whether that be, that, that what, who determines the acceptable could be your friends, it could be your employer, it could be social media, it could be, uh, it could be anyone, right? Anyone with authority that you give them or that they have taken or they have earned. If you speak in opposition to the, the, the main train of thought, then you'll be silenced. You can literally be, literally be locked out of participation in the world. That's what I refer what is referred to as cancel culture. It seems to be catching on, but in reality, it's it's been around for generations. It's always been there. The, what's different now is is who has who's in the position who has the keys to the locks. That's the difference now. The fact that we that everyone had a voice at the table. It, is a fantasy. Our world tells us today and has told us for a long time that only the right people count. Only people who do the right things, say the right things, think the right things, they're the only ones who can accomplish anything worthwhile. We might think the Bible does the same thing. We're tempted to think that as we read it. After all, God expects us to be holy, right? And if you're not holy, then trouble is coming. The Bible expects us to love one another, expects us to avoid sin. People who do that are the only ones that can be used by God. Everyone else gets canceled. In Scripture, God canceled a whole bunch of folks. But if that's how you understand it, then I believe what you need is the rest of the story. As the man a long time ago used to say all, every week, and the Bible gives us the rest of the story, I believe. That's why I love the Bible. It doesn't tell us just the good stuff. It tells us the, the ugly stuff, too. And I think today we, we read one of those passages that where we can learn something. Because God uses it to teach us how we fit into his plan. Let's be honest. I'll be honest with you anyway. I think I can read your minds in this regard. That we never really feel worthy to be used by God. I mean, not in ourselves. No one here would say, you know what, God is going to do something amazing in me. Like we wouldn't just, we just wouldn't come out and say that. Because we know what goes on between here, right? We know what's happening in here. We know the things we've done. And so we'd never be so bold to say, that God's going to do something amazing in me. 
We know our limitations. And then the fact is, I deserve and you deserve to be canceled. That's just the fact of it. I see pastor friends of mine, especially now that everybody's church is online, who have everybody in church, right? The church is packed. I mean, even in COVID, right? I mean, they've got a huge crowd of people. They've got staffs of people who are at work serving their community. And I always think, God, can you do that here? Could I'd like to be a part of that, God. Why am I not able to be a part of that? I see that in others. You know, their, their online worship services are like feature movies. And I always think, man, how do they do all that? I wish we had the people here that could do that. And while Jesus teaches us in the New Testament that, that God has a very clear expectations for our lives, and that is for us to be holy as God is holy, what does that mean for us who aren't? What do we, we're left to ask. Like, what, what can I expect from my life with all my shortcomings? What's a reasonable expectation for people like us, like you and I, for people who mess up? who struggle, who stumble, who lie, who sin, who get caught up in political arguments, who lust, who worry, who say things out of anger, who lose sight of the gospel. What do we have? What, what can we expect? Which brings us to Abraham. We know who Abraham is in the New Testament because he's told again and again and again as a man of great faith, right? That's what we think of Abraham. Scripture said he believed in God. He was the first to be of that character. In the New Testament, we see the early church looking at the life of Abraham almost as though it's nostalgic of who Abraham was. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. But it's like looking back at the past and overlooking what it was really like, and just seeing it, what, what you want to remember it as. I do this all the time, right? I mean, you may have even thought, boy, if we could just go back to 2019. 2019 was miserable. <laughs> it was awful. I don't know, you know, we think of that because we look at it through today's lens, right? I think of, you know, back in high school, I was such a fantastic athlete. Nah, I wasn't. I, was, I wouldn't do what any coach told me to do or asked me to do. Like, I, I was just hard at it. No. And I thought of my kids. I was always like, I never did that when I was my dad's son. I never acted like, yeah, yeah, I did when I stopped and think about it. I did that and more. Praise God they haven't done all the things I did, right? We always look back at it, look back with this nostalgic view of things, even the church. We, look, we think back of what it used to be, and we think it was all great, but it, it wasn't. Because that led us to where we are today. So it couldn't have been that great. Hear how Paul said it in, in uh, his letter to the Church of Rome. I don't think I have this text in there. I don't. Uh, Romans chapter 4. Paul said this. He said, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. When weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, and yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, 
being fully persuaded, the scripture says, he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Paul looked back at Abraham and thought, he was a victor. Man, if everybody believed like Abraham. That's the Abraham we think of when we think, I can never be like that. That's why we need to read Genesis. <laughs> because that's not, because we hear the rest of the story in Genesis. We go back to what actually happened. Seldom do we see or think about Abraham as struggling in his faith. Today we read a passage that, that reminds us of the rest of the story, right? But it also has some information that can make us kind of sideways if we get distracted from the main point. But it starts in Genesis chapter 20 is where we are. Verses 1 and 2, and I'm just going to kind of go through this and, and pull out some principles that I see that we could apply to our lives here today that I think would make, will make an impact on your 2021. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, said of his wife Sarah, she's my sister. So they let it be known that she's my sister and I'm her brother. Then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. If it sounds familiar, it, it should, because this has already happened once. And again, we find Abraham going right back to the same, well, we did this before, let's try it again. Without thinking, so he's looking back nostalgically of how it happened the last time. Well, you know, he didn't see the, the problems that were created. And again, he's going to overlook them. He's going to keep doing the same things he's always done. And he's going to wind up with similar results. Back in chapter 12, when God had called him to go to the land that he'd show him, he got there and he said, yeah, but God, there's a famine. I think I need to go on down to Egypt, right, in chapter 12. So he goes down to Egypt and he runs into who's there? Pharaoh. And he says, oh, Pharaoh. Uh, just if Pharaoh asks, you're my sister, right? Now here we are some years later in a text that sounds eerily similar. All sorts of questions come to mind. Like, what in the world did this king see in a 90-year-old woman? Like, she must have been some kind of cutie. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of questions that come into my mind when I read this. Like, like how? Like, what? Why? I, but, but we're not going to get into that because that's going to distract us from what I believe is the main point of the text. The point here is that Sarah, for sure, she was a cutie. But, but Abraham is very human. And he has a very human faith. And what I mean by a very human faith is a very inconsistent faith. And inconsistent faith is revealed in his misplaced fear. His misplaced fear. Clear as, as a bell here as we see him again looking at the king in fear. Not fearing God. I mean, he should know better, but he's inconsistent. He should know better, but he doesn't at this point he's human he isn't perfect and because he's not perfect he fears things instead of God he fears people instead of God God has promised him to give him a land to make give him a people right he's promised him again and again and again to give him heirs 
And yet here he is worried about some king, what some king might do to hurt him. Not really so much about his wife, which is the amazing thing. He's not worried about her, but he's worried about himself. Or maybe he's worried about what the king might do. It's easy to say, but he had a promise from God. Doesn't he under it's easy to say that, right? But he had a promise from God. But this sort of cowardice is common throughout the Bible. Of what's considered faithful people. And often in times of stress and they're cowardly. In the New Testament, disciples of Jesus were, uh, were in a boat one time, crossing a lake, and a storm blew up. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they're all panicky. Oh, my goodness, a bunch of fishermen are panicking because they might drown. Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. So they wake Jesus up, and he says, come on. Seriously? Matthew eight twenty six, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he calmed the storm. Cowards. Or again, when, when Jesus was teaching in the, in the, in the cities and uh, many of the f- leaders in the synagogue were converted. They actually came to believe in Jesus. And yet, when they, went, when they left his teaching, they wouldn't tell anybody. And he explained it this way in the Gospel of John. Yet at the same time, many among even the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise. More than the praise of God. They were afraid of losing their position in the temple. So they, were, so they actually turned from believing in Jesus. Inconsistent faith leads us to misplacing our fears. When I fail to trust God, I turn inward. I don't know about you, but I turn inward. I, I stress I eat, I sleep, I isolate myself, right? Because I'm anxious, because I don't know what to do, and so I tend to close everything down. I begin to fear the worst. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm... I fear the worst thing that can happen, instead of knowing that that'll rarely ever happen. The worst hardly ever, ever happens. And I don't fear what is real. And is actually, I don't fear what's actually happening. The biggest problem with misplaced fear is that we, that we fear the things that aren't actually going to happen. You ever think about that? Like we, we, we fear the unknown. Like this might happen. Well, it might, but probably won't. The biggest problem with our fears is we look for and that leads us to look for hope in wrong things in wrong places we look for salvation from things because we're running from something that won't even happen abraham was putting his hope in sarah to protect him right he put his hope in sarah to protect him not in god i mean she was god's promised deliverer so he's like well let me if i Maybe I don't know what he's thinking here. Put her at risk, you know, and then maybe God will step in. Maybe he figured that since she was to deliver the child and he couldn't do what he needed to do, then maybe the king would help. I don't know what is going on in Abraham's head. But it's clear he was putting his hope in something other than God's promise. 
When our faith in God wavers, we're left with putting our hope in our schemes, in our plans, our ability to figure things out. And that should be a, an alarm in our heads when we feel like we've got this figured out. <laughs> As a follower of Christ, whenever I think that, you know what, I'm pretty smart, that should be like a, an alarm should go off. No, you're not. My plans are not that great. Yours aren't either. God's promise is what we need to hang on to. That's what happened to Abraham. When his faith wavered, he looked around at what he could trust. And it turned out to be his creativity, his plans, were the best thing for him to hang on to. But our hope belongs only in God's plans. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, verse 6. I thought I had the text there. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Sometimes that let no one deceive you, sometimes that's you. You deceive yourself. We deceive ourselves, right? We trick ourselves into believing something. We lie to ourselves. We rationalize our sin. We make problems bigger than what they are so we'll avoid them or we avoid the solution that God is calling us to. Paul says, don't deceive yourselves. Remember, inconsistent faith revealed in misplaced fear leads to misplaced hope. That's the first principle from our text today that, that I really wanted to pull out. Leads to misplaced hope. The second principle we see in the text today is, is one that we're well aware of. And you probably understand that, that already that faith is, is, determined, is what you believe, right? That's what faith is. Well, Scripture refers to it in Hebrews. What? Well, that text is out of place, out of order. Here we go. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the word conviction. You see that? To be convinced. To be fully convinced. Faith is a conviction. It's something that you are convinced is true. You stake your life on it. And these shape how we live. Convictions. When you think of a person who's faithful, what do you think of? I know what you don't think of. What's going on in their head? Because you don't know what's going on in their head. All you know is what they do, how they live, what the things that make them appear faithful. That's what you know. That's why you consider them faithful, because of what they did. Faith is a matter of act, it's action-oriented. It, it's revealed in the way we live our lives. That's why we think of Abraham, because God called, and he went. God said, get up and go, and he got up and packed, right? God gave him a promise, and he looked around, who can I give my wife to? <laughs> right? Like, what? A very human faith. An inconsistent faith. And it always shapes our actions unpredictably. If you struggle with inconsistent faith, you need to write this passage of Scripture down. I did. First, or James chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. 
That person should not ex expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's my problem. But let me get back to Abraham. Not to be blown and tossed like a wave by the wind. Verse 3 in chapter 20, you may say, wow, we're just going to take a while. Uh, not really. So, but Abraham, or but God came to Abimelech, the king, in a dream one night and said to him, You're as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she didn't also say, He's my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will, pay, he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Mm. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that, you should, that should never be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Why? Why did you do this, Abraham? What we see in Abraham isn't a solid faith, but an inconsistent faith. He believes, then he schemes. He believes, and then he schemes. He's a wave tossed by the wind. His faith, his faith is frankly one that I can identify with. We see his actions here not, not only impacting Sarah, who is, who's been turned over to another man, but Abimelech was affected. Seeing God in a dream, right? His whole people were going to be destroyed by God for this. And God's already shown that he's very capable of destroying a people. When Abimelech had done nothing intentionally, I mean, okay, so he took her into a harem, and not a, his wife, okay, so we can split hairs on that, but, but he hadn't done anything that he felt was, was unintentional, right? The key here is that, that Abraham and Sarah's scheme wound up putting all the people of Gerar at risk wound up putting God's promise at risk I mean what if Abimelech hadn't have been made impotent by God the whole thing would have been would have just fallen apart you ever tell a white lie or have a scheme going that, that to get around a problem how'd it work out Sometimes great, sometimes whew, got to do that, right? Sometimes pretty good. But other times, did it have unintended consequences? Like like something happened that wow, I didn't see that I didn't, didn't think that would happen. Didn't think they'd be affected by it. Oh, sorry. Right? Yeah, me too. I remember when I was a kid, my uh, my uncle brought this uh this new spray rig right uh we're farming farm family so uh my job for the summer was to drive the sprayer and it was it was the worst job i think because they put me all by myself and i was like just 
all day by yourself is not a good thing to do for a, I don't know, what I was, 14, 15-year-old kid. And um, he gave me all the instructions, right, of, of when you come to the end of the row, you got to count rows and, and make sure because it was, it was kind of an odd length or width, rather. And um, so I, I said, and I was a pretty smart kid. I thought, hey, I, I can figure this out. There's a better way. <laughs> I said, instead of counting each row, because, man, that takes too daggone long. Well, I'll, I'll figure out how far that is, and then I'll – so I came up with this new way of figuring out how much room to, to overlap, right, or to not overlap, to, to line the rows up right. I'm probably not explaining this very well. But anyway, uh, and it I got through much quicker. It was much simpler. I actually enjoyed myself. I could listen to the radio. I could, I could really get into it. And, and about three weeks later, started to notice that uh, every – along through the field in different ways in different places there were these wide gaps of weeds that had just gone up like crazy that were like i mean like two three row sections that were all the way as straight as an arrow down the field and were just full of weeds and i was like oh that's not that's gonna get me in trouble <laughs> my plan didn't work out as well as i thought that's often the way it happens that our inconsistency affects others. When my kids were in trouble, I worried. I stressed. And that stress affected my relationship with my wife. When our bank account was low, I said, you know what? I'm going to get another job. So I spent less time at home, which created more stress at home. Because I'd put my hope in things other than God. I took action, sure, but they were my plans. Some may have called it faithful, but more times than not, my faith was in my ability. And I think oftentimes that's the problem we have. That's what we see in Abraham, anyway. We get to see how his inconsistent faith, look, how his faith. In, where he put his hope in himself or in his abilities, right? How it determined his actions and those actions impacted others. We can't avoid our actions impacting other people, right? Jesus said it. It's kind of what they call the, the butterfly effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of, heard of it that way or not. But we don't live in a vacuum. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot thrown out and trampled on front. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light, they don't affect themselves. They affect everything else. It's like that's just our way of living out our faith, right? Our actions shaped by both a solid faith and an inconsistent faith. Both, they, they have that butterfly effect. That, and I don't know if you know what the butterfly effect is. I've said that twice now. That, uh, it, the idea that, that uh, a butterfly flapping its wings in one part of the world can cause a hurricane in another part of the world. That there are unintended consequences or unforeseen consequences of every action in the world. And Jesus said, oh no, there, there's a gospel effect. There's an exact gospel effect that when Christians live out their faith faithfully, that it has an absolute effect 
and it is light to the world. But both our consistency and our inconsistency in doing this, both of them reveal something here. Something we need to hang on to tightly. And that is our inconsistency is part of God's plan. See, God planned for our inconsistency. Look at this in Genesis chapter 20. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Remember the question was, why did you do this? He said, I'm a, I was afraid. Besides, she really is my sister. She's a daughter of my father, though not my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from her father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. Then Abimelech, he brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. Live anywhere you want. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and he healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abram's wife, Sarah. See, our consistency is part of God's plan. It didn't surprise God that Abraham and Sarah did this. It, it wasn't a shock to him. Do you remember back when all this began, right? Uh, back in chapter 12, 13, right? When Abraham made this covenant with God, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be mine and, and I'm going to give you this land and we're going to make this covenant together. You remember that covenant together where they, they took animals and they cut them in half? And then who walked through those animals? God did. Remember what that was all about? That was a covenant relationship where God was saying, do to me as you would these animals if I don't keep this promise. God said, I'm going to keep the promise. I'm going to do it. And here we see him doing just that. Making sure the promise is kept. God arranged for Abimelech to be in place. A man who would fear God. Who would experience a dream. A king who would want to protect his people. To do the right thing. Who would listen to the voice of God spoken in that dream. God arranged for Abimelech to be impotent. So that the promise that God had made to Sarah and Abraham would be held. God arranged for Sarah and Abraham to be blessed in spite of their lack of faith in order to enable them to be a blessing to others. God did that. God, God had arranged for all those things. It wasn't because of their, Abraham's faithfulness. It was in spite of his inconsistent faith that God did this. See, our, our inconsistent faith doesn't shock God. Yours doesn't doesn't surprise him which at the same time which should make us love him even more paul wrote it to his letter in timothy i think i have the text here yeah if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself it is he who is faithful he is That's why we love him so. 
Because just like Abraham, I, I have that kind of faith that, that wavers. And he remains steadfast. That's why, that's why I seek to, to, to get to know him by reading his word. That's why I want to be a better father. That's why I want to be a better husband, better pastor. That's why I spend time considering his word. That's why I spend time in prayer. Because I, I want that because he loves me in spite of me. That, that's how he changes us. He changes our hearts so that, so that I no longer want to do things to offend him. He changes the longings of our heart. The fact is that we don't deserve him. You don't deserve his love. But praise be to God that that he says, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. And you know what's even better than, than that? Although, that, I mean, that's kind of the keystone of the whole thing. The fact that, that not only does he love us, not only do we not deserve to be used by God, right? But that he says, I'm going to use you anyway. I'm going to, and I'm going to prove to the world just like I said it a moment ago, that that our community would see us as being a generous people, that they know who you are. They know you've had an attitude in the past. They know what you've done. And when they see you become a generous person, they're going to say, what happened to them? What happened to them? They used to talk to nobody. Now here they are over here asking how I'm doing. Why? Because our hearts change, Right? That's the greatest thing, that that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You don't have to be perfect. The rest of the story is that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And you, ladies and gentlemen, are a bag of crooked sticks. Amen? But God is using us, and he's going to continue. We just seek to be faithful. I'd like to pray for you. God. We love you. We thank you for teaching us what you were teaching Abraham to continue to follow you no matter what, Lord. That we love you with all our heart. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes, God, we make a mess of it. But, Lord, like Abraham, we will continually seek to come back to you, to be known as your child to represent you here in this world, God. For those who are today are realizing that, that they're not good enough, maybe for the first time. God, I just want to say welcome to the family because none of us are, God. But today is the day when you can surrender your life. Just, just, say, just pray a simple prayer like, Lord Jesus, I, I know that you've, you died to save me from my sin. I understand what you did on the cross to take my punishment for my sin and to make me whole. God, I thank you for saving me through faith in Christ. I thank you for giving me a new life to live, a life where I can be faithful, a life where I can choose to serve you, to glorify you. God, I thank you for that. And now, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might live this life building your kingdom here just as you would have it in heaven. Lead us, Lord. We love you. Amen.